0: Hi everyone, welcome back to our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. I'm Jessica Cooper from Australian Rotary Health, and on our second episode, today we will be having a chat with Dr. Vijaya Manavagasaka from the Black Dog Institute. Dr. Manavagasaka was awarded an Australian Rotary Health Mental Health Research Grant in 2008 for her project, which conducted a randomized controlled trial of mindfulness-based cognitive therapy versus treatment as usual for bipolar disorder and comorbid anxiety which I'm very excited to discuss with her today. Dr. Monica Vasagar is a Senior Clinical Psychologist and Conjoint Associate Professor at the School of Psychiatry at the University of New South Wales with over 30 years of experience in clinical practice. She's also currently the Director of the Psychology Clinic and Director of Psychological Services at the Black Dog Institute. Dr. Monica Vasagar is well published in the fields of panic disorder, other anxiety disorders, unipolar depression and bipolar disorder. She has a special interest in adult separation anxiety disorder and is considered an expert in
1: this emerging field.
0: So welcome to our podcast today. How's everything been
1: going for you lately? Oh, look, it's it's all good. It's it's uh, it's really a bit of a uh, an experience getting used to um you know, working from home in such a large capacity and then using, using telehealth and, and various uh, video conferencing facilities to communicate with people. It's, it's very, very different. Yeah, yeah
0: it's, yeah. it's certainly we're building some new skills. So it's very interesting. <laughs> <Yes>.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah.
0: Have, yeah. Been, have people been responding to that very well?
1: Ah, uh, yes, generally so. I, I find that, um, you know, most of the people I see as as patients um, are getting the hang of it. I certainly am. At first, I was quite apprehensive, you know, because it, it feels like there's a little bit of a distance between you and whoever you're talking to. But once you get used to the medium, and once you start to get familiar with everything, it, it, it kind of, it's, it's okay. It it works, yeah. I think.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I know at the moment, um, with the whole COVID-19 thing, many people are having to isolate themselves. And and I guess, you know, this, this could impact their mental health as well. So um, I guess getting into it, do you have any tips or, or words of advice for anyone struggling with their mental mm. health at the moment?
1: Oh, sure. Look, I think there are so many um, uh, mental health issues that can be Emerge because of this imposed uh, isolation that we we have at the moment. Uh, I think one of the biggest ones, obviously, is loneliness. That despite connecting, you know, um, online and so on, people still feel quite lonely. Uh, they miss the touch. You know, they miss hugging someone that they're close to or going to someone and holding them if they if they're distressed. But I think um, I think the the tips for coping with isolation really or social distancing really now is is sticking to a routine. I think it's so important to maintain good routines and try and maintain as much of a healthy lifestyle as is possible, you know, Mm -hmm. eating properly, uh, exercising, and also differentiating between work time and recreation time. You know, when you're working from home, it's very easy for all these things to sort of merge into one another and then you don't actually have time to relax and refresh yourself. Yeah. And, uh, and also have time out. You know, if you are living in a household with lots of other people, you know, if you can maybe have some time to reflect and um, sort of recharge your batteries on your own, uh, whether it's going for a walk and just being a bit more meditative about what you do, uh, that's very healthy, I think.
0: Yeah. I guess it's about mm. setting those boundaries and, you mm. know, separating, yeah, the work-life balance and trying to get used to it all, so... Yeah, yeah, it can be it can be hard for some people, but yeah, I think maybe yeah we've had enough time now. Maybe we're starting to get used to it. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. Well, I know it was quite some time some time ago now, but back in 2008 was when you conducted that trial of a mindfulness-based cognitive therapy intervention for people with uh, both bipolar disorder and anxiety. So mindfulness is something that we hear a lot about now as a way to help our mental health. Um, Would you say that this was one of the first research projects to gather some of that evidence
1: base for mindfulness? Definitely. I mean, when we started, it was one of the most pioneering um, innovative projects around, um, you know, we, we picked uh, bipolar disorder was already not really um, being researched quite a bit in, in the psychological sense. I think there were a lot, of medi- a lot of studies on medications and medical management of that disorder, but hardly anything about the psychological management. And at that time, when we first put together the research proposal, um, mindfulness was just gaining Popularity. It was it was seen to be very very useful, especially in in treating um, people with depressive conditions. So depressive disorder. There was some research that had come out uh, regarding um, the use of mindfulness in that regard. So when we decided to uh, uh, you know trial it in the treatment of bipolar disorder, it was considered very very um, new, very innovative. Um, and we we picked bipolar disorder because we thought if it if it works on people. Uh, with depressive illnesses, perhaps the depression in bipolar disorder would be, um, you know, uh, ameliorated by learning some sort of mindfulness skills. But also because bipolar disorder is highly comorbid with anxiety disorders and we knew that mindfulness meditation, mindfulness techniques can help with anxiety, um, we thought that would also help with bipolar disorder. So that's how we came to actually put together the proposal and fortunately we got the the grant. Yeah. Hmm. Um,
0: So when you were um, initially designing that project, um, Hmm. I guess what were your main aims? What were you hoping to achieve?
1: Well, because it was such a a new area that we were, you know, breaking into, forging into, we decided to compare um, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy as an adjunct to treatment as usual, so we got together a group of, of uh, patients who were very very you know agreeable to volunteer for the study. Uh, around ninety five people, and we randomly allocated them to treatment as usual, and then the other group or half of them got treatment as usual, and the other half got treatment as usual plus mindfulness based um, cognitive behaviour therapy, and uh, we wanted to see what whether that adding mindfulness um, therapy or ma- mindfulness techniques would actually improve outcomes in, in bipolar disorder. So that, that really was our aim. Mm. So it was a, it was a, it was a t- challenging type of study because we weren't comparing one therapy versus another. It was really just adding on an extra component to treatment as usual mm. and seeing whether that was a difference. So, so we how ran did that
0: work out. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we, ran, we ran several groups, um, groups of eight uh, people in each group. We, we'd randomly allocated them to, to groups, obviously. and um, we ran these groups over about an 18-month period. and um, what we found was, was very, very interesting because we, did, we, we found that it didn't mindfulness-based therapy actually didn't change significantly change the number of. Uh, manic or hypermanic or depressive episodes that people had over a 12 month period but what it did really affect and what it made a huge difference in it was in anxiety and that was very very important because it meant that the anxiety that might have otherwise triggered um, people into episodes was now able to be contained a little bit you know people were learning skills to manage it and um that was that was as i said was very very exciting because we thought now we have a way of perhaps helping people with with bipolar disorder manage their own disorder on their own I mean, with the, with of course adjunctive medication and so on but but at least it gave them a little bit more control over their disorder
0: yeah yeah absolutely that sounds like some some fantastic findings and you know it was yeah. it was probably one of the first of its kind
1: was it It was, it was absolutely the first of its kind. It was quite a a landmark study and people were, you know, uh, other researchers and other clinicians were were very, very interested in what we'd found. And, and, you know, as a, as an indication of all of this, I mean, we we had a number of publications come out of the research. We had about, I think, five um, publications and conference presentations. Um, It was a, a, a really important finding that you could actually help manage bipolar disorder by adding on this, this component of, of mindfulness. Um, and the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy component helped people to disengage from their thoughts and feelings so that when they, were, when they had racing thoughts or depressive thoughts or thoughts that were really dysfunctional, they were really unhelpful types of thoughts, people could step back and not engage with the thoughts. Also, the therapy enabled them to not engage with the physical sensations that they were going through, that they were feeling uncomfortable or stressed or panicky or whatever. It helped them to understand not to respond to that and not to, to spiral into a, a panic attack, for example. Yeah. Um, it also taught them some basic um, skills in meditation. So we, we actually had some meditation exercises, which were very, very helpful. People enjoyed those tremendously and also provided a lot of education about bipolar disorder so so the adjunct to treatment as usual was was a very powerful um, uh, way of helping people manage the disorder
0: hmm. And so um, would you say that this is used a lot in clinical practice today like from from these research findings?
1: I'd like to think so I've got to say that um, uh, bipolar disorder is not uh, an area that many uh, psychologists specialise in, unfortunately. So, yes, it is used, but it's used in, in, some, in some practices and some, in some capacity in research and so on, but it's, um, it's a, still a very emerging area, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Very so- exciting, area, but a, a, still an emerging area.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess like from this um, initial Australian Rotary Health grant that, that you received, did this lead on to any um, further projects in this area that, you know, became bigger and, you know, found yeah. more?
1: Yeah. Well, I've got to say, so, so when we started publishing and, um, you know, giving presentations and so on, as with, as with most research, the, the time when you collect the data um, you know, could span a year or a couple of years or whatever. And then it takes while, a while to analyse the data and then to actually write it up and then to finally publish it. So the publications came out over, uh, over a number of years. I think they started back in 2008 or 2009 and went up to about 2015. So we were publishing uh, regularly, but taking bits of that data and uh, finding something new or, or something uh, different that we wanted to present. And so there were a series of papers that came out. So we, we didn't actually apply for further funding because we were still using that data set. It was such a rich data set. There was so much information in it. Um, mm. So anyway, we used that. And we decided that instead of um, replicating and doing some more of that, because other people around the world and other research groups and other clinicians were also um, you know, uh, incorporating mindfulness-based cognitive therapy into their treatment with people with bipolar disorder, and from the Rotary grant that we got, and and all the stuff that went on with that, we developed what's called well-being groups, and they were clinical groups that were run, or still are run, at the Black Dog Institute, and they're treatment groups for people with bipolar disorder. So they run for eight weeks, and we started running them back, I think, in about 2013. It was it was a long time. Uh, ago that we started running them Uh, they run for eight weeks they're based on psychoeducation and of course we do have a mindfulness component in those programs and they teach people how to manage their um, the, the episodes the highs and the lows in bipolar disorder and prevent relapse and to date we've probably treated about close to maybe 200 patients and the groups have been very, very well received. I mean, people, we, have, we always have a waiting list. We always have people very eager to to join these groups. So we feel like we've translated that that research into some very practical um, clinical use.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. That's, that's what great. we always like to see with our grants and, yeah, just yeah, <laughs> seeing them, yeah, going out to the public and, and then being able to use the research that, you know, being able to use the... interventions that have come from from the research that we fund so that's that's really great to hear um so i guess um so what about now what have you been working on and and has it had any um important implications for clinical practice i know you just said that you've you've got this yeah um intervention going on that's being offered um, via the black dog institute but um is there anything else that you're doing as well
1: well, I mean, eventually, what we'd like to do, obviously, is to evaluate those those programs. We haven't applied for funding, but obviously, that's something that maybe in the future we'd we'd like to do to evaluate the well-being groups because we know clinically they seem to work. Patients really relate to clients, really relate to the groups. They find a sense of camaraderie. They find the skills so useful. Um, you know, people, we, we constantly get thank you letters from people who have been through our groups to say how successful they've been. But we haven't yet formally evaluated any of this. So, I mean, at a later stage, what we would like to do maybe, and we'll probably apply for, for funding, is, is to actually look at a way to evaluate these, these groups as they evol- evolve from, from the uh, initial Rotary grant in, in the past. Yeah. yeah my area is also in anxiety disorders as i mentioned to you before and, and I, I have a, a strong interest in what's called separation anxiety disorder and and that's my other area of interest but again i haven't yet uh, we haven't yet worked up some studies that we want to look at just yet
0: yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of ideas there and yeah there's always <laughs> new research that can be done so yeah sure. it's, it's very exciting yeah. Um, so research, yeah, yeah. yeah, so research funding is obviously very important to keep the, the work of researchers like yourself going. Um, do you mm. have a, a message of encouragement for Rotarians and the wider public um, to donate to mental health research, especially now during this um, COVID-19
1: crisis? Yes, of course. I mean, I think there's there's two major areas that I just wanted to mention here. I mean, firstly, research in general is so important to keep us moving forward and helping people because it's only through research that we actually discover or, or, or refine techniques that are going to help people in the long run and our clinical um, skills and our, our innovative programs and, and um, developments and things like that can only go forward if we um, have the research to not only develop the programs but to evaluate it because Really, if you're going to put anything out there in the public, you really want to have evaluated it and make sure that it's safe and it works and it's worth everyone's time to actually do. So, so that's one aspect. But the other, the other point I just want to make is that unfortunately with, with the pandemic, I mean, you know, people's mental health has suffered. And uh, it, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's um, obviously affected people with pre-existing mental health problems as well as people who didn't have pre-existing mental health problems who are now realising how, how uh, you know, how much strain they're under or how much stress they're under. I mean, people are under extraordinary stress with financial difficulties, um, emotional difficulties, sometimes being cooked up, um, loneliness, as I mentioned before, I mean, rates of... They say domestic violence might actually be on the increase. Rates of substance abuse are on the increase, so and alcohol. So, so you know, I guess unfortunately there is there are a wealth of research projects that are probably going to be relevant after this pandemic um, uh, passes us by, because the mental health, uh, you know, uh, the mental health implications are going to be long lasting. They 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 go on for a lot longer than. In the actual pandemic, mm-hmm. so yes, I think there is such a need and such a, a great um, uh, noble cause, I think, for for mental health research to alleviate the suffering that people might be having, having now and will have actually in the future. So I think you know there there is a very good reason why mental health research is so important.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us on our second podcast, Vijiya. Uh before we go, I was just um wondering if you had anything else that you wanted
1: to add. In in terms of um the well, just just research? in
0: terms of you know research or you know anything that you, that you'd like to add?
1: Oh yeah, look, I I mean I'm also enormously optimistic. I mean I think I think that, you know, despite all the as I said, there's going to be a, a lot of mental health issues and stuff like that. I think we're we're in such an exciting phase as well of discovery. You know, people are dying to get out there and start doing things. I think right now we're primed to to do the best we can do and to really shine. So any sort of um, you know, research that goes out there now is is actually going to be taken up by very enthusiastic people and hopefully carried forward so that it benefits everyone.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks again. Um, yeah, it's been really great <laughs> having you on today and, and talking about your research. It's it's obviously, yeah, had, had some great impact so far. So, yeah, that's really great to hear. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, Well, that was our second podcast, um, our second episode of our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. It was wonderful to hear firsthand from one of our previous funded researchers who continues to make a difference to mental health and is helping to lift the lid on mental illness. You may have heard we are currently aiming to raise $200,000 in our COVID-19 appeal to fund more important mental health research like Dr. Manavagasagas. So far, we have raised $5,780 and we are very grateful for the support, but we still have a long way to go. See the link to donate on the Australian Rotary Health Facebook page. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you will join us again next time.